Chapter 47 On the Gifts of the Holy Spirit Shortly before his death in Palestine, the Holy Sava said to his monks in obedience, After many years pass, a prince of Serbia will come as a pilgrim here. His name will be Savas. You will give him Panagia's icon of the Galactical Trofusia, the mother of God who's breastfeeding the infant Christ. When he venerates my grave, my staff will fall upon him, giving him a blessing for his guidance of God's people. When the Holy Savas' disciple, St. John of Damascus, heard this, he requested that the icon of the Panagia, the one that depicts with three hands, which had cured his severed arm, also be given to the Serbian Savas from Hilandari. And in fact, everything came to pass just as the sanctified Savas had foretold. Six centuries later, the Serbian prince came to the Holy Land as a pilgrim, was given the two icons and the staff, and brought them to the Holy Kelion of the Transfiguration where he lived in Keriez. Since that time, the Kelion is sometimes called the staff, or sometimes Tipicario, because in place of other services daily, the Psalter is read before the Divine Liturgy. St. Paul from Zeriputamu built both Zeriputamu and St. Paul's monasteries. He was called the most learned of philosophers. Marvelous was his sermon on the great entrance of the Theotokos, and wonderful were his canons in various tones to the Forty Martyrs, as well as his iambic canon to the Holy Cross. Our righteous and God-inspired Father Maximus the Kafsokalivitan swam in a sea of divine gifts which are granted by that eternal fountain of grace which adorns all saints. He also had a special gift which is granted only rarely to some. He could fly. He could go from one place to another through the air. He was a fowl of the sky, both figuratively and literally. His biographer, Theophanes P., was an eyewitness of this special grace. Here's how he describes it. Quote, I do not want to hide what I witnessed about him, for I had met him and we frequently kept in touch. One day, accompanied by another monk, I left Vatopedi and went to his hut in Kafsokalivia. I did not find him there and was sad about it, so I looked around hoping to find him somewhere. I went behind the hut, and as I looked toward the road of Isaiah, there he was. I saw him at the basin of Aglarios, at about a two-mile distance, along a ragged stretch of a very difficult rocky road, I saw the saint elevated above the ground, in the air. He was flying like an eagle over the forest and the cliffs coming toward me. At that moment I became frightened and cried out, Great are you, O Lord, and wondrous are your works, and no words are sufficient to him your wonders. Because I was scared, I drew back, and he, in the blink of an eye, appeared before me, chanting. I fell on my knees to prostrate before him, and he kept asking, How long have you been here? Then he held my hand tenderly, like a father, and led me into his cell. After he had finished instructing me, he said, Be careful not to reveal to anyone what you have witnessed here while I am still living, and learn that you one day will be the Hugelman and the Metropolitan of Archerethes. You will face many temptations, but be patient and imitate Christ, who was hanged on a wooden cross. 
Christ will help you during your temptations, sorrows, and tormenting struggles. Truly, everything happened in my life just as he had foretold and had described with his prophetic words. In Esphigimenu's territory, the righteous Theocletos did his ascetic labors. He became Philadelphia's hierarch and together with the righteous Nikiforos was St. Gregory Palamas's teacher on noetic prayer. The, the righteous Metrophanes and Dionysios, 16th century, did their asceticism in a cave belonging to small St. Anne's. An energetic group of monks under obedience to monk Eurasimos, the hymnographer, and here monk Dionysios, transformed their cave into a chapel. The two holy saints, however, would not allow the transfer of their holy relics. Many smelled the fragrance that came from the area of the saint's cave. Holy Dionysios had spent all his time in the study of holy scriptures and rhetoric. As a result, he was called the orator. He simplified many orations of various fathers which are found in manuscripts housed in the various monasteries of Manathos. He himself also wrote a commentary called The Clue. Righteous Akakios of Kafsokalivia had the gifts of foresight and foretelling. He was able with divine illumination to see the inner state of each person. But if someone would try to hide anything, even a simple thought, he would reveal his understanding of that thought by his advice to him. St. Savas of Vatopedi, a fool for Christ, for a long period of time did his asceticism in a cave in the desert near the Jordan. He was at this time a monk under obedience in the monastery of the holy, <clears throat> honorable, glorious prophet John the Forerunner. By God's grace, he was gifted with animals, and he had a special relationship, even a friendship, with the lions of the surrounding area similar to man's relationship to them before the fall of mankind. Here's how he tells about it to his student. Many times, I many times gain benefit by God's grace from my interactions with wild animals. I frequently would meet with the lions in the desert, and we would walk all together as if we were friends. Usually I would deliber deliberately go among them when there were two or three of them together. I would observe them carefully, their eyes, the size of their bodies, their natural arrogance, their stately movement of the neck to the right or the left, their brave and royal leaps. And I am sure you have heard about their sharp claws and all the other details. And the lions would let me observe them this way, comfortably, never wanting me to stop. They desired my company very much and would stand near me in a quiet and friendly manner as if we had known each other a long time. By examining all those things that I have mentioned before, I gained as never before a wonderful knowledge of God's creation. My soul was pierced by a powerful sense of God's glory and love. Each time I would remember great David who invited the beasts and all creation to glorify God and I chanted along with him with great joy and admiration that blessed verse, How exalted are your works, O Lord! In wisdom have you made them all. The Hezekist Ilarion the Ivaritan was a very special spiritual man. He prayed without ceasing and was clairvoyant. A Russian boat sent by the Tsar to the monastery of Dionysiu waited three days to receive an answer from this illumined servant of God, 
about the outcome of the Crimean War, 1854. When he finally gave it, he said that Russia was going to suffer and be defeated in the end, but that she would not lose any land. And that is exactly what happened. One who witnessed this elder's clairvoyance with his own eyes and ears was the pious Dionysian monk Yakovos, who, when he was a novice, visited him. The elder called him by name from afar. Come, my child John, he said, even though he had never seen him before. Then he gave him spiritual counsel, telling him to be patient rather than sad, because his brother George had left Dionysio that very day and had gone to the monastery of Xenophantos. Then he took him into a small chapel dedicated to St. James, placed his hand on his head, and said, Love and revere this apostle whose name you have. He will be your best protector. But, Father, my name is not Yakovos. I'm called John. I know that, my son. You will be named Yakovos, but until you become a monk, only you should know these things which you have heard today from a foolish ascetic. It was granted to him to know the time of his own death, which enabled him to give his last wishes and instructions about it. In 1880, the elder Averkios, burning with desire for the ascetic life, came from the monastery of Naxos and settled in the cave of Nuskit. He fought with all his might against the passions of the body and soul, as well as against that adversary of the human race, the devil. By fasting, vigils, and lengthy prayers, he reached great heights of virtue and gained the gift of foresight and discernment. Once, during an all-night vigil, he entered the holy Bhima and approached the altar. There he saw the Lord, who showed him his name written in the Book of Life, and who told him to increase his ascetic labors. Twenty days before it happened, he predicted the fire which was to engulf the monastery of St. Paul, and he also predicted the enthronement of King Alexander during the time of Eliferios Venizelos. Very often he was able to see deep into the hearts of those partaking of the holy mysteries. Depending upon each person's spiritual state as he observed him, he would be happy or sad accordingly. The hermit Elder Damaskinos from St. Basil's told us the following. At one time, I fell gravely ill and almost died. Some time later, the pious monk Sophronios met me. He was from the Gianacapulo group of monks from the area of the Great Lavra, where for a while he had practiced husbandry of the monastery's vineyards. He asked me, what was wrong with you that night when you were asking me to help you and I had to get up and make a supplication for you? I thought to myself that something had happened to you. I was surprised. I had never expected someone who had been just a laborer in his previous life to show forth such charisma and virtue. Father Damaskinos told these things to prove that there are still nipotic, wakeful fathers who are gifted with various charismas, but they do not expose themselves openly. Many times they are not even themselves aware of their gifts. They are protected with humility so that they may not lose the grace that they have gained. When, during the night, I go outside to do my obedience of prayer, I see and hear heavenly things, said the righteous ascetic elder Petros. Do not think that I am alone here. No, I have this little animal, Father P said to a pilgrim and pointed to a frog. 
I pour a lot of water at the roots of the tomato plant under this tree, and the little frog lives in it, lacking nothing. It will become a monk also. You see, brother, everything is tame in the desert. Even the wild beasts become obedient to a man of God. At one time I had many mice in my hut. Whenever I would saw some wood, right about fifteen of them would come and gather, and they would play in the sawdust. This went on for a long time. The poor things were hungry, and I had nothing to give them to eat. That is why one day they disappeared, never to return. In Esquita of Ivaran lived the blessed monk Christophoros from Arta. Born in 1730, he became the pupil of Eugenios Vulgaris. He was one of the most literate monks on the holy mountain in the 18th century, authoring many services and other books. A member of the Kolivaris group of monks, he was known not only for his wisdom, but also for his virtue in general and his love of Hezekiah that cleanses the soul. The ever-memorable Elder Gabriel from Dionysio, may his blessing be upon us. Nicknamed the Grandfather, Papu, told us about our commander Chrysostomos Haji Daniel, who lived a century ago. He was a graduate of both the theological school at Halki, near Constantinople, and of the University of Heidelberg, a professor and a scholar, honored with a medal from the French government. Despite all this, he was so humble and unaffected that he would ask permission even to do minor things. And he did not ask to be honored by anyone. Near the end of his life, when his obedience was to serve as the doorman of the monastery, many wild doves would come with familiarity to him to feed on breadcrumbs from his hands. They were so tame that when he scolded one for not letting another eat, chasing it away so that the others could have a turn, it would promptly sit on his shoulder even though it would not go near others. In the area of Stavnonokita lived a Russian ascetic who fed the little birds off the palm of his hands. I also saw another hermit who was surrounded by many kinds of birds. They sat on his head and hands and shoulders with ease and joy, chirping away merrily. The contemporary biographer of St. Nicodemus of the Holy Mountain, who lived 1749 to 1809, the monk Euthemios, wrote the following about the Hagiorites' great gifts of teaching, rhetoric, and wisdom. Quote, ah, my fathers, how can I write these things without tears? For our nation has started to boast and praise God, who has granted to us such a steadfast luminary in such unhappy times when lack of piety and atheism prevails in almost every part of the world, and that our nation was given such a guide for those gone astray in sin and to be a comfort to those in sadness. Yes, I acknowledge him as such, not only because of his writings, through which he has illuminated and will continue to illuminate to the end of time the entire Orthodox Church of Christ, but I also proclaim this from everything which I observe daily, where all those wounded from sinning abandoned arch hierarchs and spiritual fathers and ran to Nicodemus, who was dressed in rags, to find cure and comfort for their sorrows. Not only did monks come to him from the monasteries, Skeets and Kelia, but also many faithful came from various countries to see and to be comforted by him, 
Frequently we would hear him complain about the burden of these brothers in Christ, for whom he had been writing and explaining spiritual things all his life so that the text would be of benefit to them. Not because they came to him did he complain, but rather because so much time spent with them hindered his divine task, and because he had such a desire constantly for noetic prayer. For he was diligent with this work of noetic prayer, day and night. He would dedicate an entire fortnight to either interpreting the Holy Scriptures or else to praying with his head lowered to the left side of his chest, immersed himself in the prayer of the heart, crying out from the depths of his soul, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And for this reason he would tell us, let us go, my fathers, to some deserted island to escape the world. There was a good, kind Russian monk by the name of Augustinos, Augustinos, who would gather all the sick mules of the area and take care of them, nursing their ailments. Such was the flame of mercy in his heart for the whole of creation and all of God's creatures. His keli was attached to Philotheu Monastery. When he was still a novice, the monastery of his repentance, St. Pantaleon, had sent him to one of their matokia, where he suffered a major carnal temptation because of the presence of the daughter of one of the workmen there. To overcome the temptation, he jumped into a river. From that point on, he asked to be an ascetic outside the monastery and not to be sent again to the Matokian. An ascetic called Pacomius was illiterate. He knew only to say, Christos Anesti, Christ is risen. He worked in a hut doing his obedience task, and from time to time someone would bring him food. Many snakes would come to his workplace and make his attempt to work very difficult. He had to take them in his hand and throw them out. One time, a very large snake was such a problem that he grabbed it and tied it around his waist like a belt and continued working. At that moment, the monk who had just brought him some food entered his keli. When he saw the snake tied around his waist, he became very frightened and told him to throw it outside so it, as not to be hurt by it. The elder then repeated Christ's word, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. And they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. Luke sixteen eighteen. Father Irinakos from the Romanian Skid of Prodromu was born in Melitz of the province Stols. An educated man who spoke many languages, he was humble, silent, and patient. His life's work was one of great aspiration and unique of its kind, consisting of 20 large volumes entitled The History of the Holy Mountain, 10,000 pages in total. Monk Isaiah from Prodromu, also Romanian, was born in Aninosa, even though he had limited formal education, he became a wise teacher and spiritual guide to the practice of virtues. Many souls, monastics, and the faithful who lived out in the world found near him repentance and inner regeneration. He was an ascetic and quite gifted in his ability to preach in order to bring lost souls to Christ. 
The various charismas of Haji Georges were evident from the time he was a novice. God's grace had visited him at a very young age. Once during winter time, while everyone was doing their rule of prayer at dawn, he heard his Yerunda's voice saying, My monks, save me. Haji Georges ran and told this to the senior brother there who scolded him, saying, Go away with your misperceptions. Continue your prayer rule and do not pay any attention. Haji Georges, who was as a novice then known as Gabriel, obeyed. Then he heard his Yerunda's agonizing voice for a second time, saying again, My monks, save me. I am near the location of the cross near Zygos before Keresia, and I am in danger. Help me. Haji Georges went back to his brother and said, Our Yerunda is in danger near the cross. The brother scolded him again. Are you misled that much that you can hear our elder's voice from the location of the cross, which is two hours distance? Then novice Gabriel begged him, My father, pray with your prayer rope once, crossing yourself attentively, and you will find out. And indeed, as soon as he started saying the Jesus prayer and had crossed himself twice, he heard the desperate call of their Yeronda. Immediately they wrapped sticks with rope around their feet, so they could walk on the snow and departed. It took them nearly half a day to go from Kafsokalivia to the location of the cross. In many places, the snow had reached a meter in height. Their elder, Neophytos, as he was going from St. Anne's to Kerasia, had grown exhausted and had sunk into the snow, unable to move. When his monks reached him, he was so deep in the snow that he could scarcely breathe. They took him to Kerasia, where he was given first aid, and then they started out for Kafsokalivia. The fact is that what had saved Father Neophytos was Haji Georges's prayer. The great Haji Georges also had a gift with wild beasts. When he was a novice at St. George Kaliva's cell in Kafsokalivia, a boar was destroying the vegetable garden. Father Neophytos ordered the novice Gabriel, for such was Haji Georges' name at the time, to tie up the boar with his belt and bring it to him. He also asked him to make a stall in the stables for it. When the novice brought it to him, he said to him, When you are hungry, come here and the monks will feed you, but do not destroy the vegetable garden. Thus the boar had room and board. When it was hungry, it came to the stable for food. Let us tell a similar story. There was a boar who was destroyed the vegetable garden when Haji Georges was the elder of a group of monks. He told his monks in obedience to let him know if they saw the animal again. One night the beast entered the garden by going through the fence. When the elder saw it, he ordered the boar to remain motionless. Then he took it by the ear and led it, now gentle as a lamb, to the stables. There he gave it a rule to stay three hours there without eating. After the time was up, he let it go, saying, Blessed animal, is Athos not enough for you? Why do you come here and destroy a few vegetables which we have grown to feed on? Go now and do not return, for if you do, I will double your obedience rule. And truly from that time on, the boar never came back. Many Greeks and Russians went to be advised by the illuminated man of God, 
Haji Georges. Once he had written to the Tsar, advising him not to pass in his carriage over a certain bridge on a specific day. The Tsar ignored the advice. But six months later, when the mishap occurred, he remembered what the elder had said and respected him a great deal from then on. When Haji Georges was exiled to Constantinople, his charismatic presence gave divine comfort to Christians, to non-believers, and even to the Turks. God's grace, through this cleansed vessel of the ascetic life, worked miracles. Even the belt of Haji Georges worked miracles. The sick who wore it were cured. Women endangered during labor were given a safe and secure delivery, and those possessed by demons were freed. Many Turks suffering from various illnesses were blessed and cured by this holy protector and physician of the people. Respected by all of them, he was called the Bitjim Baba, which is Turkish for our father. The revered elder Eurasimos, the hymnographer, told me many things about the simple and grace-filled soul of the spiritual struggler Petros, or Little Petros as he was known. This Petros was one of the Danalites and Thompsonites, and was also one of the oldest and wisest fathers of our time. Ascetic Father P had decided to be under obedience to the hermit Petros, but during the time he was preparing to go to Karulia to join the hermit, the holy elder himself, after many hours of walking from Karulia to Philotheu, came to him and told him that he could not accept him under his obedience, for he had been informed that Father P would soon die. And indeed, on St. Peter the Athenite's feast day, June 11th, many of the fathers came to Father P's hut to wish him many returns on his feast day. After he had given them some sweet meats and water, he sat on a little stool and there gave up his spirit peacefully while his co-ascetics were still enjoying their treats. Elder Theophylactos was one of the holy monks of St. Basil's Skeet. It is said about him that at one time a roe deer, having wounded its leg, came outside his hut and lay down in front of it. The elder went near it and spoke sweetly to it as if it were a man. Stay so that I can bandage your little foot and you will get better. The roe deer obeyed and remained still. Like a good orthopedic doctor, the elder with love for every one of nature's creatures and a compassionate heart, took two canes and a piece of cloth and made a splint for the unfortunate animal's broken leg. Then he petted it kindly and said, Go now, my dear, with Penegia's blessings, and come back in thirty or forty days so that I can remove the splint. After the designated time, the roe deer returned to the elder who, upon removing the splint, found the leg completely healed. The end of this saintly man was holy. His face shone like that of an angel during his very last moments. His face was as bright as the full moon. The well-known and charismatic Katanakian spiritual father Ignatius was visited by monk X, who was very disturbed by a fierce attack launched against him by the devil. This was in 1922. Holy Father, bless, and the spiritual father, as if he were talking about a third person who was not there, told him in detail about his temptations, and instead of replying with a blessing, said to him with fatherly love, Little Chrysanthos, used to call him this because of his abundant love, 
Do not be intimidated. Do not be afraid of those who can put to death the body but are not able to kill the soul. Having been blind for some time, Father Ignatius could see with his spiritual eyes, and his soul's antennae could receive many things. He was informed about many things by the Holy Spirit. Contemporary ascetic told us, Think of a snake that lies under a rock during an entire winter, and when in the spring it wants to get warm in the sun, we kill it. Think also what it would be like if God had made you a donkey. He is the boss. He can do anything he wishes. And after you were loaded down with things, your master sat on you also and put you in a pit and hit you. Would you have liked that? If you examined all these, you would take all the donkey's burdens as your own, and you would give thanks to God for making you a man and giving you the opportunity to gain paradise, since there is heaven or hell for men only, not for animals. When you love animals, they sense it, and you see them as your dear friend. Before man's fall, the animals and men were dear friends to each other. Adam was clairvoyant. He could see spiritually. He could foresee all the animals need and help them. An eagle ate only dead animals, but after it became wild, it started eating live ones. All animals were tame and only because became wild after the fall of man. The barefoot elder Avakum had a phenomenal memory. He was also a living Christian expression of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Even though he had very little education, he nevertheless had an amazing knowledge of the scriptures. He had memorized both the Old and New Testaments line by line and could interpret each verse. For hours at a time, this pure elder, his eyes sparkling with joy and delight, would recite and interpret constantly the word of God as he either stood up or sat down on the ground with either his prayer rope or his little lamp in his hands. Elder Eurontios, who was obedient and went to the Metokian of Kalarmitsion, as he was told to do, was a true keeper and lover of animals and protected them. Every afternoon, all the animals would come to Kalamitsion in order to quench their thirst on its fresh waters. And as soon as they heard his voice saying, Come, come, they would approach Father Eurontios, rub their heads against his chest, and then leave. If an animal was missing from those who regularly thronged around, Father Eurontios would pray to St. Modestos, and then he would go out and try to find it. Also, if one of them was sick, he would pray to the same saint, and the animal would be cured. During those years, butchers from Thessaloniki would buy the monastery's animals, and all the proceeds from the sale of the monastery would give to the support of the schools of the enslaved nation. Father Eurontimos was meek and careful not to violate the obedience of his Yeronda. He was admired for this by all the brotherhood. One day the brothers asked him how he became so meek and mild, and he told them this. When I was in the world, I was bothered by everything, goats, sheep, cattle. I was irritated and would scream at them and hit them for no reason. When I came here, though, I heard in one of the readings about Barlam that while he was hitting his animal, God made it speak like this. What have I done that you are hitting me? 
Since then a great change took place in me, and I have decided to take care of the animals, and with pleasure. As a result, the animals obey with joy and come near me as soon as I call them. Following this inner change of mind, a peace came upon me, along with sweetness in my soul. In the winter, I am very sad because there are no stables, only some straw houses where they live. In the morning, they go out in the cold to find food, and in the evening, they are happy to return to rest in those straw huts. The fathers of Dionysiu told us about Elder Isaac. Before his humility and simple ways, even the beasts would submit. He was the monastery's baker, and in the bakery he kept a snake, a meter and a half long, which he named Elephatis. The elder would prepare loose dough mix for the snake to feed on. And after eating it, the reptile would sleep on the elder's mattress. In return, it offered its services by chasing mice away from the bakery. As long as the elder lived there, so did the snake. When another monk took over the obedience, the snake disappeared. On one occasion, Elder Theophylactos saw the evil spirits polishing a monk's shoes. This monk later rejected the monastic schema and returned to the world. Another time he said that he saw demons making fun of monks who neglected their spiritual duties and spent their time for material gains. A monk who is still living said that he saw monks who fell into the temptation of trade and forgot their souls. Eurondesa Timothea, the abbess of Macramalis, Pascon, and Eubia, told us about Elder Amvelect. He told me, Keep in mind that in the future a priest will propose that you become an abbess in a monastery, but you should not accept. It won't be to your benefit. And indeed his prediction was fulfilled. Another time he said, One of your nuns is thinking of leaving the monastery. Be careful not to let her go or she will be harmed. This same nun confessed her thoughts of wanting to leave. The most righteous hero monk Athanasios, an idiorhythmic monk from Iveron, lived in the monastery of his repentance as a simple ascetic, always dressed cheaply without socks, frugal, eating no more than the plain food found in the common reception hall. He lived in two rooms with spider webs and smoke-stained walls which were filled with inscriptions of various verses from the scriptures and philosophical sayings. He was indeed a philosopher whose intellect soared to great spiritual heights. He knew many languages. He had been educated abroad and was wise and balanced in both writing and verbal ability. But he especially was an orthodox man of spiritual depth and experience, having attained through his monastic endeavors a compunctionate mystical life in Christ. He was tonsured a monk at the age of 16 and thereafter began to serve the church. He went through Russia, Constantinople, and Thessaloniki as a teacher. For a period of time, he worked as a celibate priest in Napoli, Italy, and then in Tripolididi of the Patriarchate of Alexandria, where they were planning to make him a bishop. After visiting the Holy Land in 1938, he came to the monastery of Iveron on the Holy Mountain, whereupon he ceased serving as a priest, lived as a simple monk, as many others did in the past after they come to Manathos. 
His humility and repentance was permanent, without interruption. He would say to himself, No other person, no one ever, has sinned as you have, and there is no other hope for you than the hope that comes from the pierced side. Thousands of souls found counsel, illumination, comfort, and help from this grace-filled, refreshing, compunctionate words, which poured out as if from an inexhaustible fountain. How well I remember him there in the reception room of Iveron. This ever-memorable one insisted, insistently emphasized that only ascetic practice, only ascetic practical conduct produces mature Christians, true spiritual persons. He also constantly pointed out the dangers that are faced by hero monks who have to live and work in the world. Father P. very frequently said, Doxototheo, glory to God, with a compassionate voice, with awareness, with joy, whenever God gave him a chance to help some brother. He had the charisma of comforting those monks or laymen from the world who were suffering, sad, in despair, or experiencing temptations. After being counseled by him, they would leave happy and consoled, light and with renewed hope. Indeed, great is the gift of comforting and consoling a soul, chasing away its anxieties and fears. Another similar comforter who received strength and illumination from above was the all-loving, all-holy comforter, the spirit of truth, is the well-known Casa Calivitan here monk, Father Porfirios, whom I met. Near him, innumerable souls found counsel and illumination, patience, and cure. After coming to the holy mountain, he had first cleansed himself and practiced the virtues in a climate of austere obedience under the elders and monks of St. George's Holy Skeet in Kafsokalivia, dwelling there in ceaseless prayer. Following his illness, which occurred at a relatively young age, he went to live in the world as a contemporary staretz of holy orthodoxy. I do not feel that I am saying anything important, he would say to someone. I only say simply what God illumines me to say. But indeed, he had the charismas of wisdom, knowledge, foresight, and foretelling, as was proven in countless cases of our contemporary monks, priests, and the faithful who sought his help. May his blessing be upon us, St. Porfirios. We met the Serbian hesychistic father, Gregorios, when he was the librarian at St. Pantalemon's monastery, and later when he was a hermit in the Paleo Monstririon. He had an academic degree, knew many languages. My Yaranda respected him greatly, for he was also studious in noetic prayer and vigilance. One would often see him with his ascetic stick and his komboskini, his prayer rope, his head leaning downward, always silent, always praying. My Yaranda and I had a fervent desire to meet him, which was fulfilled through a divine message that he confirmed when we met him even though he had not been notified beforehand about our visit. Among other things, he had the gift of wisdom. He said to us, quote, Spiritual life is a continual being with God. Abide in me and I in you, John fifteen four. No one can be considered a theologian without apophatic theology. One must live our church's dogmas. The dogmatic truths must be experienced to become knowledge. For this, we must have done a personal pasca, 
a passage from theoretical to empirical knowledge. I do not desire anything unknown. One does not desire what one does not know. Unless we get to know God through experience, we will not really know Him. To see God is to know God, and he who knows God knows also the things of God. The essence of God is not divided, but His energies are divided. His glory, the radiance that derives from God's essence, is approachable. Illuminated by reflection, we recognize faces. We understand difficult passages of the Holy Scriptures. We receive messages. We know everything. By contrast, worldly knowledge, knowledge of the world in general, interrupts our concentration and makes of us only external, antiquated men. Who can describe the joy one feels with the Holy Communion and the inexpressible exaltation of our existence in Christ is risen? The best prayer is... Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Kyrie Isu Christe Aleis on me. Frequently when the Hagiarites want to describe the successful and correct route followed by a monk to salvation and perfection, they say, this man has seen the hair. Footnote, a unique expression not easily understood by those who are not Hagiarite monastics. Perhaps the fact that the forest hair is rarely seen and then only fleetingly begins to unlock the meaning of the saying. To continue, Yanada Gabriel, the Higuman of Dionysiu, left behind him the reputation of an able and faithful man. He was a man who had both spiritual and governing talents. Many times we discovered the discernment and care that the spiritual father had. His public relations with the governing authorities were without reproach, and he placed the Holy Mountain's traditions above everything else. During the all-night vigils and the other holy services, he remained an unshakable pillar, standing at his upright stasidi. He always entered the church first and exited last. How can one describe his compunction and his joyful sadness? His unique style of reading the Psalter or the Prochemenion and the most vivid expression of the joyful mourning of our Orthodox Church that pierces our worship deeply. I can still hear his voice and I am shaken to the depths of my being. One time he held my hand and led me to the monastery's trapeza, where there are wonderful murals, and he pointed to St. John of the Ladder and said, This you must imitate, my son. Follow his holy example. The well-known Romanian monk Nectarios, a new Cucuzelis, a musical teacher who was the holy mountain's nightingale, sang like an angel in the flesh. His students said about his righteous life, We never saw him laughing or joking. He always looked down. Many times during the day he could be found weeping or sighing. He was working at noetic prayer. A translator of music from Greek to Romanian, he was not only a man of angelic voice, he was also a man of angelic virtue. Epilogue, a collection of praises for all the righteous and holy fathers who excelled on this holy mountain of Athos. Today is a festival of the righteous. Come, everyone, all righteous people, and gather together, for today is a feast for monastics 
as well as for everyone else in the Church of Christ. You multitude of monks and all of you in the world, celebrate together, for today is a new and common memorial day of all the holy Athenite fathers. All of you, monastics of the holy mountain, sing new songs together because these divine fathers have been manifested as protectors and benefactors of us all on the holy mountain. Although they lived in past times, their commemoration is new because only recently have they been glorified. In our time, for just and good reasons, we now honor their memory and festival. Just as all those righteous fathers in Sinai and Ratho who were slaughtered by unbelieving Arabs and the wrongly believing Latins have a feast day to celebrate their common memory, so should there be a common feast day of all the fathers of the holy mountain who became for us benefactors of countless good things. How can we commemorate all, all those other monastic saints on Cheese Fair Saturday, those of Libya, Egypt, and Thebes, and not praise also those who have lived on Athos, they who have been the benefactors, protectors, and providers to us all. They have blessed us not only through their counsel, but also by their works. While they lived, they benefited us, both in body and in soul. After their repose, they continue as our heavenly benefactors. These thrice-blessed righteous men inhabited the previously wild Athos and transformed it into a tamed and wonderful garden. They turned Mount Athos, a desert, an uninhabitable place, into a land of holy lavras, bright monasteries, Skeetis and Kelia, and endowed all these establishments with an abundance of goods for the comfort of the struggling fathers who had come after them. They also filled the monastic houses with a multitude of monks, so that in a land where there once had been only wild beasts and dragons, there were and now are rational men who strive to imitate the bodiless angelic hosts. Indeed, they resemble the angelic army, witnessed by the patriarch Jacob, who said, This is God's army, Genesis 32.2, and confirmed by the words of St. Ephraim the Syrian, who said that, Just as there are orders of angels, so also are the monastics an order of men who, like the angels, keep their minds continually on God. Like fragrant flowers or like trees which produce magnificent fruit, here in this place these divine fathers created another spiritual paradise. In the caves and dens, in the valleys and plains, and on the hills, and along the coastal lands of this mountain, they, like angels, did their ascetic labors as if it were another heaven. Where before only the cries of wild animals were heard, now heavenly angelic hymns are heard everywhere, with praises to the all-holy and life-giving Trinity. And I say also that these blessed righteous men, loving fathers to their spiritual children, left behind for us their teachings, their models, and their specifications as a heritage which can never be taken away. While they lived, they led many monks on the right path of salvation, and after their death, they continued to lead us all, their spiritual children, to eternal life. Like good shepherds, they continually watch over their flock, protecting us in every situation through their constant supplications before God. These are the divine fathers who in every way struggled in this holy place, pleasing God thereby and growing in sanctification. They should be celebrated all together on the same feast day and be praised with the same spiritual hymns and be 
portrayed on one icon altogether as they were brothers in spirit, of the same schema, having the same beliefs. Some were hierarchs and righteous, some confessors and martyrs, some mergushers, many known and even more unknown, who finished their lives in Zenobia or in hermitages during all the past ages on the holy mountain. We call them Hagiarites, and surely the divine David was speaking of them too when he said, If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies, which I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit upon your throne. Psalm 132, verse 12. Thus, in these latter days, Hagiarites have unanimously agreed to celebrate these fathers' memories without fail once a year. Although we do not know why this was overlooked by our predecessors, we, their present-day loving sons, are correcting the omission and establishing the feast for three reasons. The first is that there are countless known and unknown fathers who up until this time have had no hymns of praise written for them. On this common feast day, we can now honor and celebrate them properly. The second is that if we do not honor them with a common feast, we will appear as ungrateful children of our spiritual fathers, teachers and benefactors and guides, whose monasteries we live in, whose teachings we study, and upon who, whose spiritual bread we feed. We might also be found violators of the apostolic teachings, which tell us that he who tells you the word of God, praise him, remember him day and night, and honor him, not as one who gave you life, but as the one who has become the cause of your well-being. The third reason is that celebrating this common feast day of the Holy Fathers might prompt some of us, today's monks, to imitate their virtue and zeal, since in our times virtue and ascesis have been neglected. Instead, evil is on the rise, and lukewarm and negligent behavior prevails even among us monks. Therefore, fathers and brothers who have gathered to gay, together for this feast today, listen piously and attentively to these words. Learn about these fathers, and as a consequence, follow their example, earning thereby God's reward for your attentiveness and imitation. These famous God-inspired righteous fathers of ours, truly God's people, and sons of the Father of Lights, came from various lands. For some of them, even their countries are unknown to us. But we know that all of them had a common country on this holy mountain, and they favored it more than their own native lands. This is a fact established without doubt, for according to a wise man, one's country is where one can be happy. In this true homeland, many holy monks lived for 40 years, or 50, or 60, or even more, sometimes less, but all knew the higher pure joy of a true home. And by pleasing God here, they were enriched with the heavenly charismas of sainthood. It is for this reason that it is customary for them to be named not after their birth homeland, for example, the Byzantine or the Peloponnesian, etc., but after their true homeland, the Holy Mountain. Thus we have, for example, Peter the Athenite, or Athanasios of Athos, and we have such terms as the Hagiorite Fathers and the Righteous Athenites. What prompted these men from the beginning to leave their countries and come to Mount Athos to be Hezekists were the great and joyful promises made by Our Lady the Theotokos, the Holy Mountain's first Hezekist, 
who appeared to righteous Peter the Athenite. His biographer, St. Gregory Palamas, Metropolitan of Thessaloniki, gives the exact words of Panagia to St. Peter, quote, There is a mountain in continental Europe, beautiful and of great importance, having a southward direction and stretching into the sea. And this mountain I have chosen among all the places on earth and have decided to dedicate it as a suitable place for monks to live. And from now on it will be called holy. Those who choose to live thereon and are willing to fight the common enemy of man, the devil, I will be the first to fight him alongside them. And I will be an undefeated helper to them and will teach them the things they must know and will advise them on the things they ought not to do. I will be their coach, their physician, and their provider, taking care not only for their food and bodily health, but also for the strength of their souls, so that they might not fall short on virtue. These things I will do while they are living. After their departure, I say it, and my heart leaps with joy. I will present to my Son and God those who have long have loved him and finished their lives of repentance on this mountain. And from my son, I will request for them the total absolution of their sins. End of quote. When the fathers heard of these great promises of the mother of God, the very queen of heaven and earth, they left the world and everything in it, mother, fathers, relatives, home, belongings, wealth, fame, careers, pleasures, came from every part of the world to inhabit this holy Athos, the most beautiful paradise of the Theotokos, taking courage and having hope in God and in the Lady of the Mountain. They knew how universal and important were the two commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and strength, Deuteronomy 6.5, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19.18. They had decided to keep these two commandments and through watchfulness to keep all the other commandments of the law and the prophets. For the Lord said, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets, Matthew 22:40. Thus it was their hope that they might reach the perfection of virtue insofar as it is possible for men in this life. They also followed the example of Jesus, who loved first God and then his fellow men, as the four evangelists say, for after his baptism, led by the Holy Spirit, he went to the desert to be tempted by Satan with the three great passions of desire for food, love of glory, and lust for wealth. And the Lord defeated the devil in these passions by which he was tempting, proving his love for God and his perfect fulfillment of the first commandment. Following this, he returned to the world, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and teaching men to keep the commandments and to endure hardship and slander for the sake of brotherly love. The perfection of his love for his fellow men and his fulfillment of the second commandment is revealed, as the God illumined Maximus points out, when on the cross of suffering and death he pleaded to the Father for his executioners, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Luke 23:34. Following the example of the Lord, the fathers of the holy mountain proved their keeping of these commandments of loving God above all and their neighbors as themselves. 
threw Hezekiah first in caves, burrows, dens, and other parts of the mountain. They fought with their material bodies, the invisible powers, and dark rulers of the world. And they overcame them, as the Apostle Paul says, with fasting, self-restraint, vigil, constant prayer, living in the open, sleeping on the ground, shedding tears continually, and every other kind of bodily hardship. They overcame ambition with repentance, humility, obedience, and the cutting off of the will. The love of money was overcome by not having any possessions. They lived in poverty and deprivation, and by these they cleansed themselves and lived in stillness. In this Hezekiah they practiced the virtues and attained to holy visions. St. Basil said that Hezekiah is the beginning of the cleansing of the soul. And his brother, St. Gregory of Nyssa, said that a hezekistic soul which is free from outside influences is more aware of its own inner state, whether good or bad. And as St. Maximus the Confessor says, they have cleansed the body from the passions, the soul from sensual things, and the mind from all thoughts. In this way, these blessed ones, by passionlessness, became clean vessels of the Holy Spirit, able to receive his uncreated energies, illumination, the grace to see the unseen, to know things which were happening at a great distance, and to foretell things which had not yet happened. What more should I say? These holy fathers in silence matured in Christ and have perfected their love for God. They reached the height, highest of all the virtues, the love of God with all one's might. Thus nothing stood between them and God, and they, being united with him, knew him and became God's through grace. After these fathers were proven perfect keepers of the first commandment, to love God with all one's mind and heart and strength, they wanted to keep the second commandment, to love one's neighbor as oneself. Therefore, many left the silence of Hezekiah, some pr prompted by a heavenly vision, or others by hearts warmed with divine inspiration and love toward mankind, to build monasteries, lavras, skeets, and kelia throughout the whole Athenite peninsula, going to live there themselves as monastics. Also, they were inspired to build magnificent churches for the monasteries, giving them the names of our Lord, of his all-pure mother, and of the saints, so that the Almighty God would be glorified in them. And as they were building these churches, each one of these blessed fathers was saying in his heart the words of this David's psalm, I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Psalm 132, verse 4. After they had built by their own labor and sweat all these monastic establishments which we see today, and after suffering through many temptations, some of which endangered their lives, these loving fathers tried hard to bring to these properties as many holy relics as possible including pieces of the true cross. They also continued to gather properties, both fixed and portable, to build Matokia and to begin the cultivation of the land and the rising of some animals, in order on the one hand to supply the monks with necessities and on the other hand to be able to receive poor strangers and the sick who might come to the monasteries. They also instituted laws, rules, and the procedures to be followed by the monks regarding obedience duties and holy services in the church. 
we still have these rules and procedures written by them in their wills and in their monastic documents. This is the way all monastic communities, Skeets and Kelia, were put together to become schools of every virtue, in the keeping of God's commandments, tutoring schools of ascetic labors, workshops of angelic life, imitating the ancient Zenobia of Palestine, Sinai, and Thebes, all of which served also as inns for strangers and shelters for the poor, and havens for everyone lost in the world's torments. Through such monasteries, these righteous men drew many thousands of people to salvation from this world's vanity. They attracted also countless numbers of patriarchs, priests, kings, and many others from all levels of society. Even to this day, their mon monasteries draw many to the angelic ranks to be presented as a pleasing sacrifice to Christ the Lord. And the previously desolate Athos became inhabited by a multitude of monks, proving these illuminated fathers to be perfect keepers of the second commandment, the loving of their fellow men, not only as themselves, according to the law in Leviticus, but even above themselves in keeping with the words of the Lord himself when he introduced a new commandment of love, when he said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. John 13, 34. In truth, my brothers, the completion of all the twenty ruling houses and the many other smaller monastic establishments on Athos sealed all the other works of these righteous fathers. It is difficult to describe adequately the importance and magnitude of what they accomplished, but what they did can justly be called immortal work, for neither through the propagation of the human race nor through the accomplishments of the arts and the sciences has man managed to fulfill so perfectly the purpose for which he was created, as did these holy fathers. May their memory be eternal. There is a long history of great builders upon earth, beginning with the men who, after the flood in which Noah was saved, tried to build a tower reaching into heaven itself, and thereby make their memory immortal. Philip of Macedon, Alexander the Great, and many other kings and dictators throughout the world also attempted to construct magnificent works which would be monuments of the greatness upon which their posterity could ponder with awe, as King David says in Psalm 48, verse 11, Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they named their lands their own. However, they did not manage to remain immortal. In spite of the fact that they are known on earth, they are not remembered in heaven, the life to come. According to St. Basil the Great, the impious names are not written in the book of life. Instead, they are remain known only on earth. The names of the Holy Fathers of Monathos, however, will be known forever, not only on earth, but also in heaven, although they may not have been even imagined this to be so when they were building the holy mountain. For their names are written in the book of life that will forever abide. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Luke 10.20 The twenty ruling monasteries must be called magnificent because they include grandeur in every aspect, and because many of the builders of them were kings and sons of kings, such as Simeon and Savas, as well as those like Euthymios and Neophytos, who inspired kings to spend generously on the buildings of the mountain. 
such rulers as Constantine and Nikiforos, such ruling dynasties as the Romani, the Alexi, or the Catacuzini, and the Peluri, such royal women as the Pulcheria, and many others. Indeed, these great monastic houses are magnificent, even regal in every way. Can you not see for yourselves that it is so? They stand in a line from north to south of the mountain, like great fortresses, designed to protect the entire area from all attack by sea and land, assuring the brethren who live on these lands around them a calm and peaceful life. Because of the divine purpose for which they were built, these great monasteries make even the seven wonders of the ancient world, considered marvelous in men's fantasies, pale by comparison. And indeed, the seven wonders are no longer magnificent. Where any part of them still exists, there are only ruins where fowls may rest, nest, or mice and spiders build their homes. They were constructed as a result of man's vanity, and everything that is vain vanishes in the end. The great ruling houses of Manathos, by contrast, were built for the eternal glory of God and the salvation of human souls, the value of any one of which is beyond comparison to any monument built by man. What am I trying to say? It is that the excellent result and the most important accomplishment of these monasteries and their fragrant fruit are all these God-bearing fathers of the holy mountain whom we are celebrating today, from all the habitations on the mountain, known or unknown, who pleased God and were sanctified, both those under the monastery's direct care and the hermits who lived on their own. Let us visit them in our own minds and see how many saints were revealed in them. Epilogue continued. We will begin with the great Lavra. Here the great Athanasios, teacher of all of the mountain's fathers, built his monastery. Like another Moses, St. Athanasios came to Manathos, another Mount Sinai, where he entered into the inaccessible mysteries of the knowledge of God. And as Moses received the law, so did St. Athanasios receive the forms and procedures and teachings for the Cenobitic way of life, as well as for the order of services, and he passed these on to the Athenite fathers. We cannot describe here his angelic way of life, his ascetic labors, the miracles he worked while still living and after his death, the charismas he was granted by God, the powers he was given against the forces of darkness, and the blessed end of his life. It is here also that we find St. Peter the Athenite, the mountain's first Hezekist who became the prototype for all other Hezekists of Manathos. After being set free from Samara's prison by the Theotokos, and having heard from her all the promises she had given the mountain, he came and settled in a cave located at the foot of Athos, on the southern point of the peninsula. The cave can still be found today where he lived like an angel, with neither garments nor shoes, as did the great Onufrius, enduring many temptations and attacks from the devil, and eating only the food sent from heaven for fifty-three years, like the Israelites in the desert. His feast day is June 12th. In the same monastery also we find the great theologian St. Gregory Palamas. Although he was connected with Vatopedi and became the abbot of Esfigimenu and had spent time in the Cathisma of Palamas, he began his monastic life at the great Lavra and spent most of his life there, 
obedient to the Cenobitic rules. By the Theotokos' intercessions, he received many charismas from God, especially that of the theologian, which enabled him to struggle for the glory of God as he participated in three great councils during the reign of three emperors and three patriarchs, and fought for the truth against Barlam, Akindidos, and Gregoras, those who blasphemed God's uncreated energies. Later, he became Archbishop of Thessaloniki, where he died, and where his tomb and relics became a source of miracles, accounts of which can be found extensively in his biography. In the area bordering Lavra, St. Maximus blossomed in 1380. Because of his burning of his cells, he was called Kafsokalivis, hot burner. He was a heavenly man like an angel on earth who received bread from the Theotokos and the angels. An exact laborer of noetic prayer and vigilance, he had all the charismas from God of foreseeing and prophecy, frequently saying exactly word for word what had been said by those coming to him, a rare gift not given to many. When he reposed, myrrh poured out of his relics. Also living near the great Lavra in the 14th century, and a friend of Maximus the Kafsokalivitan was St. Nifon, who also lived in caves. And St. Nilos grew the fruits of his virtues near Lavra as well. And because of his cleansed life, his relics poured myrrh to such an extent that he is called a myrrh gusher. Another holy father who shone forth in the area of the Lavra was Yermanos, also called Marulis. He was born in Thessaloniki of wealthy but pious parents. Desiring to be a monk, he went to Manathos when he was 18 years old and lived in the Hezekasterion of the Great Angels, which belongs to Dokoriu, under obedience to an elder named Ioannis. Later, he went to Great Lavra's area where he finished his ascetic labors, thus receiving the title of Lavratan and dying at the age of 80 in 1350. His friend Philotheus Kokinos, later Patriarch of Constantinople, wrote his biography, which was published by Panagia's Garden Publishers in Thessaloniki in 1985. Philotheus Kokinos, in fact, was at one time the hegumen of the great Lavra. He came from Thessaloniki and proved to be great in all wisdom and virtue, becoming a close friend and associate of St. Gregory Palamas, together with whom he struggled to defend the Orthodox dogmas. In his later years, he wrote a clear and detailed biography of St. Gregory. He died around 1379. I should also tell of Holy Kakios, the ascetic of Kafsokalivia, who, though he lived in more recent years, was equal in asceticism to those ancient holy fathers who fed on wild greens, suffered and endured many temptations from the evil one, and were blessed with many visions. Under Holy Akakios' blessings and fatherly advice, there were three holy martyrs. One was Pacomius, who died in Usakion of Philadelphia on May 21, 1730, and whose relics are kept in St. John the Theologian Monastery on Patmos. Another was the holy martyr Romanos from Carpensisi, who was martyred in Constantinople in 1694. The third was Nicodemus, the Alvantian, who, receiving a staff from the holy Akakios and being strengthened by it, was martyred in his native town of Alavacion, 
um, on July 11, 1722. An offspring of the great Lavra also was the holy martyr Damaskinos. After previously denying his faith, he spent 12 years with great obedience in the Lavra and then went with Patriarch Dionysius from Lavra to Constantinople, where he publicly confessed Christ, and after having suffered many tortures, was beheaded on November 13, 1681. Here, too, in the great Lavra blossomed the Holy Father Constantinus, who came from Moscow. He had served as the Russian ambassador celibate priest in Constantinople. He came to the Holy Mountain when a war between the Russians and the Turks broke out. When the war was over, he returned to Constantinople. Following a disagreement with the ambassador, he denied the Lord, an act for which he later publicly repented, defending the Christian faith and criticizing Islam. For this, he was beheaded in front of the royal palace, receiving a martyr's laurel on December 26, 1743. The chanter, John Kukuzelis, who had an angelic voice, was from the great Lavra too. Prior to coming to the holy mountain, he had been the emperor's main chanter. Denying all glory and pleasure, he came to great Lavra, incognito, to become a monk where he had the obedience of shepherding the monastery's livestock. In the meantime, he was revealed to be the emperor's much sought-after Saltis when he was overheard singing quietly with art and sweetness to his flock of goats. Through the intervention of the Higuman, he was set free by the emperor to remain in the monastery. He built outside Lavra a Kelion and a small church of the archangels. There he would live the hesychistic life for six days of each week. On Sundays and feast days, he would enter the monastery and sing with piety in the right side choir. On one Saturday of the Akathist, while he was diligently chanting the Theotokia, Troparia, and Canons, he fell asleep for a short time while standing, and miraculously the Lady Theotokos appeared to him, saying, My son John, rejoice. Sing to me, and I will not abandon you. Saying this, she placed in his hand a golden coin through which later many miracles were worked. At another time, she cured John of gangrene in the foot, appearing to him and saying, From this time on, you will be well. After having lived according to God's will, he foresaw his end and slept in the Lord in the archangel's kelion, just as he had wished. His feast day is October 1st. In Great Lavra also we find another most pious chanter, Domesticos Gregorios. One time when Yakovos Pricano was the Hugoman, on the eve of Theophany, a feast on which we sing, In you all creation rejoices, instead of the usual, It is truly meet to call thee blessed Theotokos, Domesticos fell asleep briefly near the end of the vigil and saw Our Lady Theotokos standing there saying to him, I have accepted your chanting, Domesticos, and I thank you very much. Then she handed him a golden coin, which is still on her icon in Lavra. St. Nicodemus the Hagiorite, an eminent teacher of the church, belongs to Lavra as well. He spent a great deal of his time, especially near the end of his life, in the Lavratan Kelion of St. George, also called the Skuriton, where the relic of his head is preserved up to this day. He was born and raised on the island of Naxos and was a descendant of the Kalivurtsi family. He came to Manathos and was tonsured to the little schema 
in Dionysiu. For some time he stayed in Kapsala, east of Kerias, where he received the great schema. He was of very high intelligence and had a phenomenal memory. And by having practiced the virtues and noetic prayer, he received divine illumination and wrote numerous spiritual books, a treasure left for all who could follow him. After having labored in Christ, he died July 14, 1809, at the age of 60. Holy Orontios is also found in Lavra's territory. He was the last hegumen of Vuglifateria Monastery and the first to inhabit St. Anne's Skeet. In order to avoid the pirates' constant attacks on Vuglifateria, which was near the sea, he moved with the other brothers higher up on the rugged areas where St. Anne's is now located. But loving Hezekiah, the righteous Eurontios, went even farther up with one of his disciples to where the chapel of St. Pantalaemon exists today. He lived practicing the virtues, cleansing himself, and attaining to Theoria. He often prayed fervently to Panagia, and as a result of his prayers to her, several t times water sprang from the ground which had no water. He departed to the Lord at a very old age, in St. Anne's Skeet, particularly in small St. Anne's, there shone as bright stars the Holy Fathers Dionysios and his disciple Metrophanes. They flourished near the end of the 16th century. Tradition tells us that St. Dionysios was a descendant of the Byzantine royal dynasty of Kominos. Educated abroad, he was outstanding in wisdom and oratory, receiving the title of orator. He was tonsured in the famous Studion Monastery in Constantinople, which was in decline at the time because of the Turkish occupation. After leaving Constantinople, he came to the Holy Mountain, where he lived in the Skeet and Keries, and then moved to St. Anne's, which was at that time called Lavra's Skeet, as the same St. Dionysius tells us. Wishing for a complete hesychistic life, he went to small St. Anne's, a true hesychistic desert at that time, where there were many trees. There he spent his holy life in a cave, in strict ascesis and the practice of the virtues with Theoria. He died on July 9th, 1609. The righteous Metrophanes imitated Abba Dionysius in everything. With his Yerunda's blessing and the consent of the other fathers, he went like another apostle around the villages of Halkidiki, with its center in Stratonica, at that time called Isbaron and by God's grace strengthened the Christians through his preaching. Both St. Dionysius and St. Metrophanes have their feast day on July 9th. In the cave where they lived in small St. Anne's, there is a beautiful chapel named after them. It is believed in St. Anne's Skeet that the miracle worker St. Eurasimos, the patron saint of Cephalonia, after visiting around the holy mountain, as it is written in his biography, came and remained in the skeet for 49 years. It is said that he also received the great schema here. There is a small cave below the skeet cemetery around the area of the cell of the Holy Trinity where he led his ascetic, hesychistic life. This cave is named after him. The most wise, holy, and renowned Sophronios from Epiros lived in St. Anne's skeet and became a priest there, honoring the office as did Alexios, the man of God. Righteous Sophronios lived with wisdom, justice, and piety, a model of good works to his co-ascetics. The holy martyr Makarios is an offspring of St. Anne's also. 
He came from Chios of Bethany. His father tried to persuade him to become a Muslim, and the Turks, in fact, circumcised him against his will. Because of this, he left secretly and went to the Holy Mountain, where in St. Anne's Skeet he became a monk. After having struggled for 12 years there, he went to Prusa in Pontus and confessed the faith, criticizing the Turks and their religion of Islam. As a result of this, he was tortured in various ways for 40 days, but remained steadfast and scolded everyone, including his father, who had betrayed his son and collaborated in Macarius's torment. Finally, he was beheaded, and a heavenly light came down from heaven and shone over his holy relics. Also from this Sagit is the holy martyr Nicodemus. When he fell in love with a young woman, although he had previously already had four wives in turn, he denied the Lord Jesus. Later, having repented, he went to the holy mountain and to St. Anne's and placed himself under obedience to an elder of the Ascension cell. In this place, having prayed hard with tears and fasting, he was blessed with the divine vision of the Theotokos. He was so strengthened by the vision that after the holy Akakios from Kafsokalivia gave him a blessing to do so, he returned to his hometown of Beligrados, confessed the Lord's name, and was beheaded after having suffered torture for three fortnights. Another holy martyr of St. Anne's is Cosmas, who suffered his martyrdom in Constantinople, and still another is Lucas, a martyr from Adrianopolis. He was, as a young child, accepted the Muslim faith in order to avoid punishment for having struck the son of a Turk. Soon after realizing the enormity of what he had done, he fled to Mount Athos. There he experienced many temptations. In St. Anne's he became a monk and then with his Yeranda Vesarion, later Vasilios, went to Lesvos where they suffered martyrdom by hanging. The holy Cretan martyr, Ilarion, also came to St. Anne's after abandoning the Islamic faith and returning to Christianity. He placed himself under obedience to Father Vesarion also, and he too suffered martyrdom in Constantinople. Here a monk, Nikitas, the Trapezuntian, who reached great spiritual heights, is also from the same skeet. He was ordained a priest in the Rusikon Monastery. Although Muslim to the world, his family were really secretly of the Christian faith, and after he realized this, he went to Ceres and confessed the Lord and was hanged. Other holy martyrs from St. Anne's are David from Caidonis in Asia Minor, who died by hanging, Sopatos from the Peloponnese, who, after he had become a Muslim, repented and then received martyrdom in Tripoli by being beheaded, and Nectarios, who, when he was an orphan hired by the Turks, converted to Islam, but his pious mother helped him to realize the wrong he had done, and so he repented with tears, and in order to seek his salvation, came to the holy mountain and became a monk in St. Anne's Skeet. Afterwards, he returned to his hometown of Rula in Asia Minor and became a martyr by beheading. A recent saint from St. Anne's, a man of our own times, is the Holy Sabas. He was born at the end of the 19th century in one of the villages of Thrace. At a very young age, he came to the Skeet and as a monk lived in the Theotokos cell below the ruins of the cell of St. George. From the Holy Mountain, he went on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. There he was ordained a priest. Following this, he went to the island of Kalimnos 
and became the serving priest of the Women's Monastery of All Saints. He reposed in the Lord on 7th of April, 1948. Ten years later, his relics were found uncorrupted when Metropolitan Isidorus of Kalimnos had his body exhumed. The relics have worked many miracles for the faithful. This way, God glorifies those who glorify him. Now, let us go to the grand and royal monastery of Vatopedi. There, the holy Gennadios witnessed the miracle worked by the Theotokos in which she made an empty urn overflow with oil. We also find here Neophytos, who heard a voice coming from the icon of the Theotokos telling him that he had only one year to live and advising him to prepare himself. Later, this same icon announced that the time had come for him to depart to the Lord, and so he did. Similarly, there was a holy Huguman who heard the Theotokos telling him not to open the monastery's gate, but for all the brothers to climb the walls and fight the Turkish enemies who were trying to enter the monastery. Also, in Vatopedi we find hero deacon Vitaris, who hid in a well both the icon of the Theotokos, which is called the Matarisa and the Holy Cross in order to keep them from desecration by barbarians who captured him and took him to Crete. When he returned to the Holy Mountain, after having gained his freedom, he revealed where he had hidden the icon. It was standing upright on the water with a lighted candle beside it. After this, here a deacon had lived a quiet life. He departed to the Lord in peace. The Vatopedian Euthemios became a holy martyr with his 12 monks for reprimanding Emperor Michael Pelagos and Patriarch Nikon, friends of the Latins. They had Euthemios drowned in the Sea of Kalamichu and his 12 monks hanged on the so-called Focurian. And here in Vatopedi also flourished Nicodemus, the Yerondan teacher of St. Gregory Palamas. The builders of Vatopedi were Saints Savas and Simeon, who were also builders of Hilandari, of whom we will speak later. The newly manifested Saint Savas from Thessaloniki, born in 1280, was an ascetic in a Vatopedian cell in Keries. He went to Jerusalem and ten years later returned to Vatopedi, where he met Philotheus Kokinos. In 1342, he was sent to Constantinople to reconcile the royal family members. He stayed there in Choros Monastery until he died in 1349. His biography was written by Constantinople's patriarch, Philotheus Kokinos. In Vatopedi also we find holy Eudokimos, who, foreseeing his own death and to avoid human praise, secretly entered the monastery's crypt of bones and gave up his spirit there to the Lord. Recently his relics were identified by their ineffable fragrance. Holy Agapios flourished in the Vatopedian area like a beautiful plant in the skeet of Kolichu. There he was captured by the Turks and carried away as a slave for 12 years. Even though in servitude, he worked faithfully for the Turk who had purchased him. Then the Theotokos freed him from bondage and he returned to his Yeranda on the holy mountain. There he was scolded for having left without saying anything to his Turkish master and ordered to return. Obediently, he went back and persuaded his master to come with him to the holy mountain, bringing along the master's two sons. All of them were baptized and became monks. Moving on to the holy and splendid monastery of Iveron, we find the great and marvelous 
Holy Ioannis Ivaraton, who went there in 960. A descendant of the Iberian royal family, he first did his ascetic labors in monasteries in his native land. Then he went to Mount Olympus, where he lived quietly for some time. Later he moved to Mount Athos and became a monk under obedience to great Lavra St. Athanasius. Still later he left there to renovate the splendid monastery of Ivaron with money given by Vasilios, the son of the emperor Romanos. This monastery had previously been quite small and called Clementos. His son named Euthymios was in the same monastery around 980 also. He spoke both Iberian and Greek and was an expert in the Holy Scriptures. While still in the world, Euthymios fought with a Jew and killed him because he had blasphemed Christ. As a result of this murder, Euthymios fell gravely ill, but having had a vision of the Theotokos was cured by her before he departed from the world and went to Mount Athos to become a monk in obedience with his father to St. Athanasius. He was called another Chrysostom because of his fallacious translations from Greek into Iberian of the Holy Scriptures and other books. Then he left from Lavra with his father to go to Iveron. This holy Euthemios worked many miracles, and on the day of transfiguration he appeared while celebrating the liturgy as a pillar of uncreated light in a church near the peak of Athos. Those present were not able to endure the brightness of the light and fell on the ground covering their faces. Another holy one in this same monastery was Gregorios, a nephew of Ioannis and Euthymios' cousin, and he helped to build the monastery's main church. Also an Ivaritan monk was the holy Gabriel, who, having heard a divine voice from heaven, brought from the sea the floating icon of the Portaesa. And some other Ivaritan fathers became holy martyrs who refused to side with Michael, the Asmitian, and Patriarch John, who were siding with the Latins. Some of them were martyred by being drowned in the sea, and others who had come from Italy were sent there enslaved. From Kalamata and the Peloponnese came the holy Herothius the teacher, who labored in a manner similar to that of the fathers of the past. He was born in 1686 and educated in both Greek and Latin. When he came to the holy monastery of Iveron, he left behind in the world all his knowledge of science and philosophy became a monk. He wanted to be educated in the inner spiritual philosophy, in what St. Gregory the theologian calls the art of arts and the science of sciences. He, the thrice blessed one, became so weak from strict fasts, vigils, and other ascetic feats that he would walk only for short distances, though by nature he was a strong man. He became a clean vessel of grace and was granted many charismas, defending the faith fighting against the heretic Molinos before the Holy Synod. He also wished to be a martyr for Christ and purposefully went to Constantinople for this, but it was not to be God's will, and he was saved for the benefit of others. For more Hezekiah, he went to the deserted island of Giuria, across from the Holy Mountain, and there he died in 1745. His relics were transported by his disciple, the Holy Melitios, to the monastery of Iveron. To those who came to them in faith, they worked many miracles which are described extensively in his biography. In the Iveron Skeet of the Holy Forerunner came to live St. 
Yakovos, after he had lived in Dokoria for some time. He had many revelations and visions, worked many miracles, and had the charisma of prophecy. He left the holy mountain and went about preaching the gospel, starting from Thessaloniki and reaching Nafpaktos. There he was betrayed and sent by the Turks to Didymokitogos to appear before King Salim, where, for refusing to become a Muslim and instead confessing Christ as the true God, he was tortured, and he and his disciples, Deacon Yakovos and Monk Dionysios, were hanged. Their relics are now kept in the monastery of St. Anastasia in Galistica. Five of other holy martyrs of Ivaron should be mentioned here. First, there is Procopius from Varna, whose yerunda was Dionysios. He at first betrayed his faith, but then repented and was martyred in Ismir by beheading. Second is Euthemios from Dimistana of the Peloponnese, who was killed by a sword on Palm Sunday. The third holy martyr is Ignatius from Pallians Agora, a friend of Euthemios, who died by hanging in Constantinople. The fourth is Akakios from Neocoron of Thessalonikis, where he was also martyred by sword. And finally, there's a fifth, the hero deacon, Onufrius, who came to the holy mountain and labored ascetically first in Hilandari and then in Ivaron's holy forerunner Skeet, receiving there the great schema. Then he went to Chios, where he confessed his faith and was killed by the sword. In Magula Skeet, in the area of Ivaron, the holy Callistos did his asceticism. Having been first a disciple of Gregorius the son of Sinai, he later became the Patriarch of Constantinople. Our next visit is to the Serbian Royal Holy Monastery of Hilandari, where flourished St. Savas and his natural father, St. Simeon, the King of Serbia. Holy Savas, wishing to become a monk, came secretly to the Holy Mountain at a very young age and went to the Russian monastery where he was tonsured. Because he was being sought by his father, the Protos, in order to protect him, hid him in Vatopedi. From there he wrote a letter to his parents telling them about the vanity of the world and about the future judgment day. They were so moved by his transmission of divine love to them that they both decided to abandon their kingdom and become monastics. His father Simeon came to Vatopedi to join his son as, as his subordinate, and both together labored in the good struggle of Ascasis. Following them, other Serbs came to the holy mountain, and after having a vision, they used royal funds to build their famous monastery of Hilandari. And living according to the Lord, the holy Simeon died there. His relics flowed myrrh for the glory of God and because he had pleased the Lord. And divine Savas, happy with his father's glorification, intensified his own ascetic struggles and reached to such perfection of virtue that he was granted by God the gift of performing miracles then and after his death. In later years, he was made a Serbian hierarch. Upon the occasion of Theophany one year, after having served the liturgy in the presence of King Asanai, as he immersed the Holy Cross in the waters, they separated in two, just as had happened in the Red Sea. In Ternovo, he foresaw his own death and gave up his spirit to the hands of God. Because of a vision that King Asanai had, his holy relics were returned to Serbia. When the body arrived there, it shone like the sun, and all those present cried, 
Lord have mercy, and praised God. The fifth royal monastery we visit is Dionysio. Here lived the holy Dionysius, who was the first a hermit on the mountain in a location called Old Forerunner. As the result of a vision, he built the monastery of St. John the Baptist, which later became Dionysio. The funds to build this monastic foundation were given by Emperor Alexios Komnenos, whose relics also are miraculous. Spiritual Domitius's life ended here as well. He who was the monastery Higuman and St. Dionysius's co-ascetic and friend. St. Nephon was one of the bright stars of Dionysio. After he had become a monk and then a hero monk in this monastery, he was frequently seen covered with a pillar of uncreated light while praying. He became Thessaloniki's metropolitan and a patriarch twice. He also illumined the peoples of Latia and his teachings. Then he returned incognito to Dionysio and took care of the mules until St. John the Baptist appeared in a vision to the Higuman and revealed to him who St. Nephon was. There, having worked many miracles, he slept in the Lord and left behind his relics as a treasure to the monastery. To this day, they are divinely fragrant and work miracles. Two disciples of St. Nephon and Dionysius were Makarios and Yoasaf. Both became martyrs. Makarios was beheaded in Thessaloniki in 1527 by the Turks, having confessed publicly his faith in the Lord. And Yoasaf was beheaded in Constantinople in 1536, proclaiming in public the mystery of the Holy Trinity. In the same monastery, we find the most holy Leontios, who came from Argos on the Peloponnese. He did not leave the monastery for 60 years, and because he was graced with many charismas from God, after his death, his relics emitted myrrh. Holy Philotheus came to Dionysiu after he had been in a monastery in Neapolis. When he was a child, he had been captured by the Ismaelites. He was freed from their prison after having had a vision of the Theotokos. First he went to a monastery in Neapolis. Then he went to Dionysiu and pretended to be mute. Later he went out of the monastery to labor in Hezekiah with struggles more than humanly possible. He died in another location on the mountain. Having foreseen his own end, he told his disciples not to bury him, but to throw his corpse into the woods. There, a fisherman later found the relic of his head brilliantly shining and returned it to his disciples after having been instructed by the saint in a vision to do so. Three more holy martyrs are part of the Dionysian saints. Saints Christophoros, Gennadios, and Yosef. Holy Christophoros came from Adrianopoli. He went to the holy mountain after he was forcibly circumcised by the Turks. Then, with the monastery's blessing, he went back to his home and confessed the faith and renounced Muhammad's delusion. He was condemned to be beheaded there. On the way to his execution, his face was shining, and he sang, Christos Anesti. He died the third day after Pascha. Heavenly light shone on his body for three days after his death. Holy Gennadios was beheaded in Constantinople, and St. Yosif was hanged in Andrianopolis. The sixth monastery to be visited is Kutlumusiu. One of the holy martyrs here was Kiprianos, 
from Agrafa. The Turks martyred him by beheading in Constantinople's Fanar in 1671. In the skeet belonging to Kutlumusiu lived the holy martyr Eurasimos, who was originally from Carpensensi. As a child, he had denied his faith, but in later years he repented and went to the holy mountain and remained under obedience to a hero monk named Kirill. Then he went to Constantinople, where he became a confessor and martyr for the faith by being beheaded. The seventh monastery to visit is the royal Pantocrator. Here flourished the holy hierarch Theonos. We find information about him in the biography of the holy martyr Yakovos from Iveron. Theonas had, along with others, followed the holy Yakovos when he went out preaching in the world. After Yakovos's martyrdom, Theonas became the spiritual father in St. Anastasia's monastery in Galatia, and from there he became the Metropolitan of Thessaloniki, where his relics are found preserved uncorrupted. His feast day is April 4th. In St. Basil's Kellyon, in the area of the Pantocrator, there lived St. Theophilus, whose relics are merg-bearing. <clears throat> in 1556, during the time of St. Nephon's Patriarchate, he was sent by the Synod to Egypt to witness the miraculous movement of Mount Tag from one place to another. He also later became the church's secretary during Patriarch Pacomius's time. Later, he went to Manathos and stayed first in the monasteries of Vatopedi and Ivaron, where he copied by hand all the service books. He then bought St. Basil's Kelion, where he lived his hesychistic life until his departure to the Lord. He also ordered his disciples to throw him into the woods. His body remained there for 40 days untouched. Then the holy mountains Protos and the bishop of Irsios moved his relics from Pantocrator to the Kelion of St. Basil. They left his hand to the monastery, however, and it was placed in the church's foundation. It started pouring forth myrrh for the glory of God. To this day, the fragrance is sensed by many. At Pantocrator's location in the Axionasti Kelion blossomed a marvelous holy monk with the qualities of David, patience, meekness, and humility, who was privileged to host the Archangel Gabriel, who appeared in the form of a monk, and to hear him sing the sweet hymn to the Theotokos, it is truly meet to call thee blessed the Theotokos, the ever-blessed and most pure and the mother of our God. Not only did he hear him sing, but he also talked to him and saw him inscribing on a slate the hymn he was singing. And since that time, this hymn fitting to praise the Mother of God was became known to the entire world. The icon of the Theotokos in front of which the archangel sang is found in Protaton's church, and the Kelion where he sang is named Axionasti, and the spot where the Kelion is is named Adien, which means to chant. These things were told to us by the Proto-Seraphim, who wrote about it in 250 years ago. His account is kept in the Action Estikelion. The feast day of the event is June 11th. Two of the holy royal monasteries, Zerputamu and St. Paul's, were built by their patron St. Paul, who was the son of Emperor Michael Kupalatis, also called Ragev. His mother was Procopia, the daughter of King Nikiforos Gentios. 
He was born in 820 AD and made a eunuch by King Leontius the Armenian. He dedicated himself to studies in which he excelled, and he was called the highest of all philosophers. He also wrote and said much against the iconoclasts with information based on the scriptures and the Holy Fathers. For that reason, he was persecuted. Following all of this, he left the world and went to Zerputamu, a monastery which had been built with donations from Queen Pulcheria, by which at that time had been destroyed by the Arabs. There he did his struggles like an angel, having been tonsured by Cosmas, a pious monk. Once when the elderly Emperor Romanos became very ill, St. Paul went to Constantinople and cured his deadly disease. In return, the king gave him a piece of the Holy Cross and funds with which to rebuild Zeraputamu. But the saint who loved Hezekiah also went to the foot of Athos, where he built St. George's Monastery using other royal funds. St. George's later became St. Paul's Monastery. Nearing his death, the holy man's face shone like the sun, which made all present fall face down on the ground. He gave up his spirit to God while still admonishing his disciples with words profitable to the soul. Zografu is the next to be visited, and here we find the holy Cosmas, a Bulgarian whose birth was foretold. He left the world secretly and went to the holy mountain in 1280. Satan, in order to try to prevent him from doing this and to get him to return to the world, erected a wall of sea before him. But the saint, through prayer, made it disappear. After he had stayed for a short time in the monastery, he was tonsured a monk and pleaded with the Theotokos to lead him to his salvation. And behold, he heard a voice coming from her icon, saying, My son and my God, guide my servant to salvation. And Christ replied to his mother, Let him leave the monastery and become a hermit. So departing the monastery, he went nearby to be alone. There he struggled and was given the gift of foreseeing. He saw the soul of Hilandari's Hugoman being tortured by demons as it was departing into the air. And when the monks of Hilandari had hidden a gourd, he told them not to drink the wine in it because a snake had entered it. He is the same Holy Father who saw the Theotokos on the feast day of the Annunciation serving in the church and at Trapeza at Vatopedi. Also, when one time he had wished to have some fish to eat, an eagle snatched one from a fisherman called Christophoros and brought it to him. And when his life was coming to its end, the Lord appeared to him and told him that he was going to suffer greatly from the devils and that soon after he was to depart to him. And indeed the demon's leader appeared and beat him up, leaving him nearly dead. Immediately after that, he received the holy mysteries and departed to the Lord. The following miracle occurred on his burial day. While all the brothers were chanting the funeral prayers, all the animals gathered around, and after the burial, each one cried before going away. His body, when later they tried to find it, was nowhere to be found. Here in Zografu also found we find that 26, although some say 24, holy martyrs who, after they had shut themselves up in the monastery's tower from which they had refuted the heresies of Emperor Michael and Patriarch Vecos, who had sided with the Latins, were burned alive and received their crowns of martyrdom. 
The tenth monastery to be visited is the well-known holy monastery of Dokoriu, dedicated to St. Nicholas, where we find the God-inspired Euthymios, who was an uncle by relation and the spiritual father of the Holy Father Neophytos, who also built parts of this monastery. St. Euthymios, who came from a, the city of Constantinople, knew our great father from the knew our great father Athanasios of Great Lavra. He was the first builder of Dokoriu, having first constructed a small monastery dedicated to St. Nicholas and Daphne, where he did his hesychistic labors with other brothers. But because the Arabs, among other things, looted St. Nicholas's and partly destroyed it, the Holy Father escaped with the other monks and hid in the nearby forest. Then he decided to leave this dangerous location and go with his brothers to the treacherous location where Dokoria is now, a favorable place for Hezekiah. He, he bought the location from Isaac, the Huguman at that time, and there with great effort and difficulty built several cells in a church dedicated to St. Nicholas. In this place, he continued his struggles diligently. After all this, his nephew arrived and was tonsured a monk with the name of Neophytos. Holy Euthemios passed on to him the supervision of the monks and the monastery, and then withdrew for more Hezekiah. He slept in the Lord when he was around 100 years old. The nephew Neophytos was the son of a duke during the reigns of Nikiforos Phokas and Ioannis Smikikis. He had been so loved and respected for his humility and wisdom that the king had appointed him as his first secretary. Later, he went to Dokoriu to his uncle Euthemios to become a monk when his uncle, who had been the Higuman, had decided to withdraw for more Hezekiah. And he donated all his money and possessions to the monastery, building with them another bigger church as well as a tower and a fortress. Thus, he is considered to be a builder of Dokoriu. The archangels revealed to him a hidden treasure. Later, he became Protos of the Holy Mountain, and finally he abandoned his office to live as a hermit where he slept in peace. Righteous Theophanes came from Ioannia to Dokoriu, and reaching great heights of virtue, he became the monastery's hegumen. He worked miracles by the grace of God. He changed seawater to fresh, and he calmed the rough seas while traveling from Constantinople to the Holy Mountain. Even after his death, many miracles were worked both in the monastery of the archangels, which he built outside Veroia, and in the holy forerunner Skeet. He cured a leprous Turk, and a possessed person was freed from evil spirits. Another's crippled right hand was restored, and he saved the city of Nusa from a plague. And many other miracles were performed by him for the glory of God and as evidence of his sainthood. The holy martyr Gideon lived in the eleventh monastery we visit, Karakalu. He came from Dimitriaru province where he had been forced to deny his faith. Afterwards, in repentance, he went to the holy mountain to become a monk. He surpassed himself in spiritual struggles, but above all, he desired to be a martyr for Christ. So he went first to Velestino and then to Ternavo, <clears throat> where with joy and prayer he endured martyrdom by dismemberment. The twelfth monastery to visit is Philotheu. Here we find the hierarch Theodosius, brother of St. Dionysius, who became first the Hegumen of Philotheu 
and then the Metropolitan of Trapezunta. Another of the Holy Fathers of Philotheu was the martyr Damianos. Having heard a voice from heaven telling him, Damianos, go forth and benefit others, he went out into the world preaching Christ. Soon afterwards he was betrayed to the Turks, who took him to the city of Larissa and tried to hang him. After failing to accomplish this execution, they burned him alive in 1568. Also here in Philotheu we find Domitios and St. Simeon, who had only one tunic and was always barefoot and called Kurimanios, because when he was in the Lavra, he had cut off his hair and given it to a brother who had envied him. He went on to become Higuman and was beaten by some of the monks he had reprimanded. After that, he left the mountain and went to Zagoras's area, and in the city of Larissa, he preached the word of God. For three years, he lived on Mount Flarmurion in the open under a tree. There he built the monastery of the Holy Trinity. He slept in the Lord in Constantinople where he had gone to visit. His relics worked many miracles. One suffering with dropsy was cured, and he is to this day still freeing those possessed by demons and other illnesses, as we see in his biography. His feast day is on April 19th. From a village of Nafaktos came Cosmas to be made a monk in Philotheu. He became a holy great martyr and is called equal to the apostles. We all know of his life, his apostolic preaching, his miracles, and his martyrdom. We most commonly refer to him as St. Cosmas the Etolian. In the next monastery, Grigoriu, we have its builder, the Holy Gregorios. We have little information about him and his holy life, although we know he was a hesychist because of his cave, which is preserved to this day and because of his icon. It is believed that he died in a fire that burned down the entire monastery. Simonopetra Monastery is next, where St. Simon, the Murgusher, was the monastery's builder. In his hesychistic life, he had reached such great heights that he had even wrestled and won over the devil in the form of a dragon. During a Christmas night, he heard the Theotokos instructing him to build a monastery on a rock and saw a star shining over the location to which she referred. There he built the monastery. Among the miracles he worked, one of the most famous was to save his disciple from a great fall while he was being chased by Arabs. St. Simeon caused the arm of one of the attackers to be paralyzed and the eyes of the others to be blinded. Afterwards, he restored the Arabs' health, and as a result, they believed and were baptized and tonsured monks. The daughter of the Serbian king, Ioannis Duglisis, he freed from demonic possession. After his death, his relics flowed with myrrh. <clears throat> the monastery of Esfigumenu is next, with its builder Athanasios the New, who later became patriarch of Constantinople. In the Philokalia, St. Gregory Palamas included in his talk about hesychists something of Athanasios' holy life, as well as the miracles which occurred after his death. His feast day is October 28th. Two more holy martyrs from Esfigimenu were Agathangelos and Timothy, both put to death by the Turks. Next, we go to Esfigimenu's skeet of Samaria, where St. Damianos did his ascetic and hesychistic labors. He was a friend of Cosmas the Zografitan. He was saved miraculously by an angel, 
sent by the Lord who transported him in the air through a starry night from near Hilandari to the monastery of Isvigimenu, a distance of a mile <clears throat> within seconds, for he had glorified God with his pure life. And finally, we discover in the Skeet and Kelia of Kerdias the holy Nectarios, who died in 1470, and his elder Philotheus. Here also for, flourished Theophilus, hierarch of Philadelphia, renowned for his godly wisdom. Both Nectarios and Theophilus became teachers of St. Gregory Palamas. It was also in Kerias that Emperor Michael and Patriarch John Vecos killed the Protos and other holy martyrs. These are all the holy men well known to us who have flourished on this holy mountain. There are also many others who, though nameless and now unknown, were killed by Arabs and Turks in many of the monasteries before the conquest of Constantinople. Still others, also nameless, unknown, pleased God in other ways and were sanctified, so many that indeed, if I were to number them, they would be as many as the sands of the sea, as the prophet David says. Psalm 138, 17. These are those burning towers that circled the holy mountain as Mark the disciple of St. Gregory the Sinai saw in divine vision. These are the multitudes of monks standing with angels and archangels in a circle around the Theotokos and praising and venerating her as she sits in palaces of gold raised high up toward Vigla on the throne of a queen, as is mentioned in the biography of St. Maximus the Kafsokalivitin. Today's celebrated saints proved the Theotokos prophecy true, which said that this mountain is to be called holy. These holy men have sanctified it, made it a miracle, glorified it, and made it known throughout the entire world. Thus, these God-bearing fathers and saints glorified God on earth with their life, equal to that of the angels, and their good works. They loved God and in return were loved by Him during their earthly life and after. Their relics flowed with myrrh and fragrance, and God worked many miracles through them with the eternal divine gifts He has prepared for the faithful who love Him. Eye has not seen nor ear heard. 2 Corinthians 2.9 And now together with the angelic courses, the patriarchs, the prophets, and the apostles, they are in heaven and are in the presence of God, illumined by him whom they loved with all their hearts, having a more perfect knowledge of his divinity which St. Gregory the Theologian calls the kingdom and reign of God. And we, the unworthy heirs of these holy fathers, in what way can we please God and receive the desired salvation for which we left the world and came to this holy mountain? We can please him by following faithfully their example and keeping steadfastly their laws, rules, and forms of the monastic life as they were, have been written down by these holy and blessed men and passed on to us. Let all Hugomans and elders imitate the saints in humility and meekness and not be proud of their office, so that, as St. Basil states, they might not be condemned. Those in obedience should follow the example of the saints with true humility and obedience, keeping their duties of obedience, which, according to the fathers, are the following. 1. Not to hide one's thoughts. 2. To have true and sure love for one's elder, instead of a pretense thereof. 3 to trust one's elder as one trusts Christ. 
Four, to tell the truth always. Five, to cut off one's own will completely. For according to St. Basil, contradiction indicates one's self-will and disobedience. So this is to say to all, both young and old, let us imitate them in all their virtues, especially in possessionlessness and chastity, for these two virtues are characteristics of monastics, as St. Maximus says. Possessionlessness, poverty, forces us not to make ourselves desire extras, but only what is necessary for survival. Chastity helps us to guard our five senses, especially the sense of sight, because through this sense the soul can die, Jeremiah 9.20. Especially are we helped by the unceasing Jesus prayer. By uttering the Lord's precious name, we can keep away the blasphemous thoughts with which the devil attacks us. As St. John of the Latter says, afflict the enemies with the name of Jesus. So let us not just do our obedience and then neglect our noetic prayer, because this prayer is the main task of a monk. We on the holy mountain ought to respect its reputation and thus strive for virtue. Holy mountain means it is a place of holiness and purification where its soil is soaked with tears, sweat, and blood of thousands of holy fathers. The holy mountain is a workshop of virtue and good works. Let us remember always the main reason why we left the world to come here, to please God and be saved, as the great Arsenios reminded himself when he said, Arsenios, why have you departed from the world? Reminding ourselves will keep us from falling to neglect. Therefore, let us be watchful. Let us be niptic. We who are in this noetic paradise of the Theotokos, just as in the original paradise there was a tree of life and a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in just the same way now there is life and death. As the serpent deceived our ancestors, so is the devil now seeking every moment to deceive us using the pleasures of the flesh to put us to death. Let us not think that we are safe, saying that we are in this haven and are therefore not afraid. For a shipwreck can occur even in a harbor, which thing is laughable but true. Because if we were in danger of sinking while we were sailing in the sea of the world, it would at least not be ridiculous. But to allow ourselves to become endangered in a haven of repentance that is indeed laughable, worthy of ridicule. That is why the great St. Basil said, Many also were in the open seas exposed to winds and rough seas, and yet were saved, while those who were inside a harbor but negligent went down to the depths of the sea along with the vessel. And somewhere else, he says, There are many who start the monastic life, but only a few are those who end it worthily and properly. Above all, we ought to follow the example of all those holy men in hospitality and almsgiving so that the Lord will bless the Athenite communities abundantly as he did for our monastic forefathers here. In one of the monasteries, there was once a Hegelman who was very hospitable and charitable. The more he gave to the poor, the greater was God's blessing on that monastery. After his death, however, he was replaced by another one who did not practice charity. He deprived the poor and the visitors of the monastery's hospitality, and the monks were so poor that they barely had enough food to eat. One day an elder came to the monastery's gate, 
one who was very venerable in appearance. He asked the doorkeeper to allow him to enter, which the doorkeeper allowed, but secretly. He said to the stranger, Do not marvel, my good man, that I am not looking after you as I ought to do. Our monastery used to be well off, but now we can hardly offer hospitality to anyone. The elder then said to him, There are two brothers that have been kicked out of this monastery. If they do not return, this monastery will never prosper. One of the brothers sent away is called Give, and the other you shall receive. And immediately upon saying this, he vanished. Straightway the doorkeeper told his vision to the Hegelman and to all the brothers. They began to offer hospitality again to everyone, as had been done in the past, and almost immediately the monastery received again the kinds of blessings which it had previously enjoyed. As we observe all these things, the fathers we celebrate today will mediate for us the present and the future life, and we can truly be proud of being their sons and they of being our fathers. Remember what the Lord said to the Jews, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. John 8.39 If we do all these things and we remain repentant until our death, in this holy place we will have also as an undefeated helper the Lady and Protector of the Holy Mountain, Our Lady Theotokos, who will bring us to her Son and ask from him the forgiveness of our sins as she has promised us, she who is the true Mother of God. Blessed fathers, confessors, holy martyrs, and miracle workers who lived on this holy mountain, you who after the Theotokos are our protectors, having defeated Satan even while in the flesh, you are the pride and glory of all Hagiorites, you who stand in line before the Theotokos, the heavenly queen, with all your charismas. <clears throat> Receive this praise that is offered to you by the entire community of the holy mountain, as the Lord accepted the widow's two coins. And this common celebration on your behalf, offered by all of us, accept it as an offering of incense before you. What else can we do to show our gratitude to you, our benefactors? We confess that we are not worthy because of our sins to live in this place and to be called your sons. But you do not refuse to be our fathers, and we dare to invite you all to strengthen us so that we may imitate your life and deeds insofar as is possible. And we pray to you that from your heavenly mansions you would look down on us and protect us and our monastic dwellings from all evil, and also that you would help us become worthy of the heavenly bliss which you enjoy. We know that this is a lot to ask, but we the sons with our fathers, we the flock with our shepherds, we the disciples with our teachers, may we be also able to say, Here we and the children you have given us, O Lord, to whom is the power and the glory unto the ages of ages. Amen.